From the studios of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah, this is Highway 89, Utah's most scenic musical byway. I'm Eric Glissmeyer, and joining me in the studio this hour is Dr. Scott Holden from the Brigham Young University School of Music. Dr. Holden sometimes hosts Highway 89 as a volunteer, and I'd gladly turn the mic over to him, except he looks so comfortable seated at our Steinway. Mm-hmm. This time he's here to perform for us, and given his great talent at the keys and the repertoire he's chosen, I think I'll leave him be. In the way of background, there are quite a few things to say about Scott Holden. He's currently the director of keyboard studies at BYU. He's a member of the American Piano Quartet, also active as a soloist, a chamber musician, and a teacher. His music degrees are from the University of Michigan, the Manhattan School of Music, and the Juilliard School, where he was awarded the Horowitz Prize. He's won numerous piano competitions, performed in 35 states and in countries in Europe, Latin America, and Asia. He also spent a year studying and performing in Budapest at the Franz Liszt Academy of Music, where he was a Fulbright scholar. All of this, of course, is really just a fancy way of saying that he's very good. And so, without further ado, this is Schumann's Arabesque, played by Scott Holden. Thank you. 
Schumann's Arabesque, played by Scott Holden, Director of Keyboard Studies for the BYU School of Music. You're listening to Highway 89 on Classical 89 and Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Eric Glissmeyer. Scott, you've traveled and performed all over the world. You must have performed on an awful lot of pianos by now. Do you think you could even guess at how many different pianos you've played over the years? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Um, and it's always a surprise, generally excellent, and a few dogs along the way. Um, I do always love the quote that Arthur Rubenstein said, that is, the piano is the perfect instrument because it's so big, you can't really take it with you. Uh, right. So that way you can spend all your time going to great restaurants and going to museums and not uh, say, well, I, I couldn't bring it with me. So uh. so how many great restaurants and museums have you gone to? <laughs> First place I hit. <laughs> Is it a problem to play different pianos? I mean, what's that like when, when there are so many different makes and styles? Or do you choose what you get to play? Or how does that all work? Um, sometimes you get a choice, but generally you're playing the instrument that's there and there's not much you can do about it. Um, hopefully you can be very friendly with a technician. Um, um, uh, I, I remember playing in Mexico and the, the piano came on a truck and it sounded like it had just arrived on the truck. Oh. It was a disaster. <laughs> um, and when I pointed out that the, um, the, so the sustaining pedal was broken and that everything was ringing, the technician said, no, it's the acoustics. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and I assured him it was not the acoustics. <laughs> what are some differences in pianos that uh, you recognize as you as you play and as you listen? Uh, that's a good question. Um, every piano has its own personality and, and the action. I, I'm always especially interested in the how sensitive the action is. Um, in fact, I'd, I'd prefer the action very pliable and easy to work with than than necessarily the tone of the piano because if it has a magnificent tone but the action is a little bit spongy or difficult to control um, that will kind of negate the, the tone of the instrument. Um, so the, the quickness of the action is important to me. Then, of course, the sustain of the instrument is very important. Um, and you can usually tell how that is going to be on an instrument by, by just playing a bass note and seeing, you can even time it and see how long um, the sustain is going to be, but also the... Uh, the arc of the sound after you strike a note, what the body of the sound does uh, in that process. The music from today's program is music that you prepared for a BYU faculty artist recital. How important is it for teachers to continue to perform publicly? Well, it's really important. If I always say to my students, if I'm a good teacher, it's because I'd, I'd like to think I've made all the mistakes and probably have a few more I'll make as well. Um, so you can advise them. Uh, to, to not make those same errors that you might have figured out more recently. Um, 
it's good for your students to see you going through the process, and, and I love it. I love teaching, but uh, I would be lonely if I couldn't continue to perform, and if I was just performing, I think I'd be lonely without teaching as well. Well, all right, I'll let you get back to the piano now for some more music. On Highway 89, we're listening to pianist Scott Holden in Haydn's Sonata in C minor and Rachmaninoff's Etude Tableau, Opus 39, Number 2.
That's uh, music that just carries you someplace else. Rachmaninoff's Etude Tableau, Opus 39, number two. Just before that, Haydn's Sonata in C minor, and the pianist was Scott Holton. I'm Eric Glissmeyer, and this is Highway 89, a live music performance program broadcast on Classical 89 and Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Scott, the next piece you're going to play for us is by one of your colleagues in the BYU School of Music, Lawrence Lowe, who's a horn player. When did he start composing for solo piano? Um, I, I'm pretty sure this is his first work for solo piano. I played uh, one of his French horn sonatas with him some years ago, and I was really struck how phenomenally pianistic it is. I've played other music by horn players, and I don't want to incite a bunch of angry letters, but um, <laughs> occasionally there it was very clearly not written by a pianist. Um, and I was struck not only um, by the the pianistic quality of it, but just the very lush harmonies. Uh, Larry is an uh, uh, unabashed romantic, as he will be the first to admit, and he writes it with gorgeous harmonies, long, sprawling, uh, beautiful melodies. Um, so I had encouraged him some time ago to write a piece for me that I could play, and uh, he wrote this earlier this year. Do you often have the opportunity to play brand new pieces, especially by people you know? Um, by people I know and people I don't know, I love doing that. I love that it's a kind of uncharted territory, that there's no tradition of the piece, and that you have a very uh, essential role in bringing this piece to life. Um, it's, it's fun to work with a composer, whether you know them or not, and ask them, what did you mean by this marking? And... It's generally been my experience that they're so open to ideas from the performer. It makes me question our uh, uh, fundamentalist approach to some urtext editions mm -hmm. where we, and I ache over what does the tenuto mean in that? Um, whereas uh, when I've spoken with living composers, they're often very flexible in how they approach things. So let's say if you, if you, if you don't like that, you can do something else, or what do you have in mind? Or? They want it to be convincing, but not necessarily exactly what they wrote. Well, let's hear this recent piece then by Lawrence Lowe. First time ever on the radio, Musings and a Waltz, played by Scott Holden.
on Highway 89. Pianist Scott Holden, director of the of keyboard studies at BYU, in Musings and a Waltz by Lawrence Lowe, also of the BYU School of Music. I'm Eric Glissmeyer, and I have to say congratulations to the composer, Lawrence Lowe. Nice job, horn player, writing a solo <laughs> piano work. Very, very nice. <laughs> uh, Scott, a little later in the program, we'll hear a little bit about the life of Vernon Duke slash Vladimir Dukelsky. But first, I'd like to hear about how you discovered him, and especially how you discovered his Vladimir side. That's a great question. Um, when I was in school, uh, especially graduate school, I used to play what I called gigs all the time, where basically, and you've, you've seen this before, the, the pianist is back in the corner, everybody's standing around talking, the pianist is kind of noodling around, playing background music. Um, and I was pretty good at it, and I, I would play things out of the fake book, uh, kind of the great American songbook, uh, Gershwin, uh, Rogers and Hart, and, and Vernon Duke. Um, and one day I was in the library, and I noticed that there was an autobiography of him, and I, I love reading biographies, so I checked it out, and I was quite astonished to read that Vernon Duke, the great seemingly American songwriter, was actually none other than a guy named Vladimir Dukelsky, who was a Russian immigrant who had studied under Gliere and was best friends with Prokofiev, traveled in circles with Stravinsky and Diaghilev, and the early modernists uh, who so revolutionized modern music. Um, and I was absolutely fascinated because he kept up um, his, uh, his day job writing show tunes under this American name, but then he kept up, in addition, writing um, these quasi-modernist works um, under this other name, Dukelsky. And while I think most people of a certain generation have heard of Vernon Duke, maybe you know the song Autumn in New York or... Uh, April, April in Paris. Paris. And, right, that's the one yeah, uh, he made a lot of money writing his show tunes, but his I discovered that nobody had heard of his his classical side. It was basically just a footnote. And, and so then uh, you you picked up on that and eventually wrote a dissertation, right? Uh, I did. Um, he he was a great character to study. Um, huge personality, absolutely brilliant. He spoke four languages fluently. Um, and his his writings in English at that point I think it was his third or fourth language and it is he's he's a real literary gift. Um, I researched a lot of his letters which maybe we could go into. Sure, let's um, do that a little bit later maybe. In the sure, program. sure. But a big personality and and one of this strange. I mean, he was a crossover artist before that word even existed, and I he's he's one of the only people in the world who could say that he was dating Ginger Rogers while corresponding with Roger Sessions. Uh, it's a very strange world, avant-garde composer Roger Sessions, but involved yeah, that, in the Broadway that's amazing. world. All right, well, I can't wait to hear this music by Vernon Duke. We're going to hear excerpts from the Parisian suite, specifically A Morning Stroll, Flowers in the Place de la Madeleine, Fisherman on the Seine, and Old Boulevardier, and Lovers, Lovers Everywhere. Thank you. 
excerpts from Vernon Duke's Parisian Suite. And this is Highway 89 on Classical 89 and Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Eric Glissmeyer. So you wrote your dissertation on Vernon Duke, and you must have learned a lot about him. Tell us a few interesting things. Uh, well, first of all, again, he had this incredible cross-section of, of friendships, um, whether it was the American composer Elliot Carter, at the same time playing ping-pong with Bob Hope. So only, <laughs> only he could have done this. Um, and he traveled in very prestigious circles, especially in the 20s. Um, unfortunately, uh, he, again, he, has, he was brilliant. He had a huge personality and uh, probably a bit of an ego. Um, and he had the luxury of making a considerable amount of money in Broadway. And um, he was not one to hold back his opinions when he felt like he was being treated unfairly. Um, and it's in my, I, I spent many, many hours at the uh, Library of Congress, which has the Vernon Duke collection. They've got about 5,000 of his letters. He was a very prodigious writer. Um, I went through all of his letters and just saw letter after letter where, unfortunately, he seemed to just excoriate those who were most powerful in the music world, whether oh, it was Stravinsky, Leonard Bernstein, Dmitry Metropolis, um, Copeland, uh, publishing companies, conductors. Um, and he, I, you know, I would be in the hallowed halls of the Library of Congress just laughing because I could not believe what I was um, was reading. There were dozens of these. And I should say he was apparently an incredible supporter and loyal friend. Um, but uh, when he was not being treated fairly, he was uh, quickly to uh, maybe declare war. Um, could I read a, an excerpt? Yeah, from a, I'd love a letter? to hear it. Uh, this is a letter he wrote to Dimitri Metropolis, who was the conductor of the New York Philharmonic, basically at the very top of the food pile, uh, of, the, of the food chain, so to speak, of, of the music world at the time. This is from 1952. I won't read the whole letter here, but um, um, he, he writes out saying that he had sent a score of one of his symphonies to him, hoping that the New York Philharmonic could perform it. Um, he says, uh, I've always admired your splendid musicianship, etc. Um, but clearly you don't reciprocate because I have not had an answer from you in 13 years. And I'm sure that <laughs> constitutes a record of some sort. And is also something of an achievement because no one in the course of my varied and rather noisy career has anyone treated me in this fashion. Uh, it is possible you're allergic to my music, but to form such an allergy, one has to be thoroughly acquainted with a man's work first. Uh, he continues stating... Um, so please be good enough to come across and let me know why I, a practicing, admittedly successful composer, am not deserving a performance at your hands. And let me assure you that I await your reply without impatience, as I have, am fairly hardened by your silence of 13 years. But renewed silence in this instance will bring about my sending this letter to both the management of the Philharmonic Society of New York and to those periodicals who still espouse the cause of good music. Yours very sincerely, Vernon, uh, Vladimir Dukelsky. Um, there were many such letters. In fact, there was a letter from his lifelong friend, Nicholas Leninsky, the famous musicologist, uh, who then in a big brotherly way wrote, saying, I saw the letter you wrote to Metropolis, and let me tell you a few things about the facts of life. Um, <laughs> yeah, th this must have caused some problems. I mean, people don't like to be treated that way. Well, it, it, maybe that's one reason why uh, few people have heard of uh, Dukelsky, uh, but many have uh, Vernon Duke. But I think from what you've just heard, it's very charming, beautiful, uh, very attractive music. Oh, love it. Absolutely love it. And I'm going to send you back to the piano now for some more Vernon Duke. We're going to hear excerpts from the Surrealist Suite, The Headless Glamour Woman and the Frolicking Sardines. <laughs> 
Janice Scott Holden in excerpts from The Surrealist Suite by Vernon Duke, The Headless Glamour Woman, and The Frolicking Sardines. I just love those titles. Scott has released a solo album of Vernon Duke's music on the Tantara label. And uh, that concludes another edition of Highway 89. I'd like to thank Scott Holden for coming and performing for us, and especially for sharing information about the life and music of Vernon Duke. I found it absolutely fascinating. Thank you. A pleasure to be here. Scott Holden is the Director of Keyboard Studies at BYU and a member of the American Piano Quartet. As a teacher and clinician, he's given master classes at festivals and pedagogy workshops and also taught courses at the Juilliard School and the Manhattan School of Music. We welcome your comments and questions about this program. Simply email us at highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting. The recording engineer is Mark Waite. The show's producer is Jackie Tataishi. I'm Eric Glissmeyer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>